Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Today, we are here with Michelle Mitchell. She is an author and a speaker. Her most recent book is called Parenting Teenage Girls in the Age of New Normal. And it's fantastic, really readable, great, actionable tips for parents. She got into all this because she started an organization called Youth Excel. They go into schools and they give presentations to kids about life skills and the important stuff that kids need to know to really thrive in the world today. So we're really excited to talk to her today about a phenomenon that she's noticing with parents, which is teenagers are having more and more control over the information that they access, how they interact with other people online. Really excited to dive into all that and more. Michelle, thank you so much for making the time. I found out about you because of this book, which is really is beautiful in a lot of ways. And I want to talk about a lot of this stuff in it. Uh, you also do this thing called Youth Excel? Yes, I do. Uh, so what is that? And how did you get started with that? And could you kind of walk me through that? Yeah, like I was just a teacher and... I started realizing that I love talking to kids about their, you know, their lives more than I did maths and English. Hmm. Yeah, like I just, I had babies myself. I'm trying to remember. It was 18 years ago now, so this is a long time ago. <laughs> uh, I, I actually finished teaching after four years. I had children myself. And during that time, I started writing life skills programs and started Youth Excel, a charity. And it just, it built from there. So it's evolved a lot over the years. Um, we've done a lot of different things, but mainly in the space of education and, and some in psychology as well. And what does the organization do exactly? Okay, we go into schools and we present life skills presentations in schools. So cyber safety, mm. sexual health, uh, you know, body image. We have like a healthy relationships type of curriculum that goes from upper primary all the way through to, to senior school, which is year 12 here. So do you mean you come in like every year and do like a little kind of unit with the kids or something like that? Yeah, I do. And it's really lovely because you see them grow and evolve and they get to know you a bit and you get to know mm. them a bit. Some schools I've been in for 12 years, Andy. So it's kind of, you feel like part of the furniture. I see. So that's really cool. Okay. So then through that, you started getting really interested in these kinds of issues that kids are facing and figuring out solutions for them. Yeah, that's right. And parents would ring me and ask for me to see their daughters and mainly daughters, mm. sometimes sons as well. And, and then it would just grow from there. So it's been a big journey and um, it's a big shift these days. And so then at some point you decided, I got to take all this stuff <laughs> and put it all together into a book. And what inspired that? 
That's right. Well, a publisher actually asked me to write my first book, which was What Teenage Girls Don't Tell Their Parents, and that was really fun. Great, great book, fun book. And now I've written another book, uh, Parenting Teenage Girls in the Age of a New Normal. So I do a lot of parent nights as well. So it's just great to be able to pass on some of those insights to parents on those nights and be able to hand them a resource that I know is going to help them. Okay, so uh, can you walk me through what do teenage girls hide from their parents? <laughs> Not totally. One of the biggest things they hide is just that they love their parents. I think they hit those teenage years and instead mm. of, you know, kiss, kiss, hug, hug, you've got the best lasagna in the world, mum, you know, all of a sudden it's uh. it's eye rolls and, you know, I love you turns into <laughs> I hate you when it's your fault and slam the door. And I think mums can really lose their confidence during that time. Mm. And just because kids are not saying that they love you, they need you more than ever. Ah, that's cool. That's kind of positive. So what do you think makes it hard to communicate about that during the teenage years? Yeah, I think kids are naturally pulling away and pulling back and they want to appear very independent and they want to sort of have it together all on their own. So I guess they don't want to lean on their parents like a crutch anymore and mums feel redundant. And I think because of that, parents can lose their confidence and they almost see their child's behavior regressing a little bit and it freaks them out a bit more. And that rift can come up about because parents are losing their confidence and as soon as you lose your confidence it normally equals bad parenting um you just make mistakes and fumble over yourself and then you've got kids kids trying to be uh, independent and pull away and find their own feet and that combination is just a really different stage in life So, okay, you've mentioned this a couple times now about parents losing their confidence, and I've never heard anybody quite talk about it in that way. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Like, I see it most of all when mums sit in my office and they're just in tears, and they'll say to me, I don't know what I'm doing Mm. wrong, it's all my fault, and mums carry around this list of things that they think, you know, they should have done better or could have done differently. And I think they get in this negative spin in their head and because their child is growing up and no longer that little girl and they it is a transition and they are struggling to relate to them a little bit, they often just think, what am I doing wrong? Uh... And that mindset doesn't really allow you to explore new ways of connecting and let go of that little girl that they once had. Mm. So what do you do when you have someone in your office, they're crying, they're feeling this way. Uh, yeah, I, I think what I do first of all is help them just let go of what was and start to look forward to what could be as well. I think we think mm. of our kids like a, um, a steady investment, like a bank account that we've invested into for years and years and years. And we expect sure. it to be going up and look that the increments just going up like a steady investment would. But teenage years are often like, you know, a volatile month on the stock market and our kids can be up and they can be down and, and parents are like, oh, what, are, what am I doing wrong? Um, so what I help them do is let go of maybe what was, understand what is now and find ways to connect and guide and support their kids for wherever they are now. And I find young people are all different. There's no kind of, you know, stock standard answers. Mm. But that's why the next book had 30 really practical parenting strategies that I could guide parents to in the areas that I think matter the most. So, okay. So then let's talk about some of those. A lot of these I thought were were genius. 
And like you say, yeah, they're, they're really practical. They're, they're short. You know, you, uh, each kind of section, you start it out and you go really in depth into the problem and have, you know, scientific facts about it and stuff that you've seen in your experience. Yeah. So in the book, I've taken the five issues that parents come to see me about the most, which is disrespect, social media, Uh sexuality, moods and drugs and alcohol and just partying responsibly. And they're the Mm. things I found that parents freak out about. So I took those things and the reason I've got so many statistics and research in the book is just so parents know that they're not alone. I think that feeling mm. of, of being alone and feeling like your kid's the worst kid in the world. Remember when kids were in kindy, mums would stand at the, you know, outside waiting for their kids to finish kindy and just share stories and is your kid doing this yet or is this and da, 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 da. But when we're teenagers, parents are working and, and no one's connecting quite as much and parents can feel like their house is the only house where there's, you know, so much tension. Ah. So, okay. A few of the things that you had in there, one of them is this really cool idea that you call the 10-second rule. Yeah. Can you can you walk me through that? Yeah. I think when mums get anxious, and, and look, I'm a mum too, so I totally understand this, but we tend to elaborate on our point far too much. So whether we're anxious or frustrated, instead of just being clear and straight to the point with confidence, I guess it's that word again, isn't it? Um, We we tend to ramble and we put a lot of emotion into it. And I find teenagers just completely switch off. And my husband always says to me, you know, they heard you the first time. And so learn to say it, say it within 10 seconds of walk away. Because as soon as you start engaging in a discussion about things like the dishwasher needing to be unpacked or their room or whatever it is, your homework being done or whatever it is, what actually happens is I find mums will say something like this, like, I wish you'd just pick up your things off the clothes. You don't understand. I've had a really hard day too. (laughs) And and mums will start rambling. And as soon as they've done, as soon as they've done that, they've lost it. And all of a sudden teenagers have had a hard day as well. And they have to bring homework home, which their mum doesn't have to. And and all of a sudden we've got this negotiation going on and parents never win those negotiations. (laughs) So short, sharp, sweet, 10 seconds. And if you can't say it in shorter than 10 seconds, then you probably need to reframe yourself a little bit before you step into it. That brings me to this idea of the difference between punishment and discipline. And I never really thought about it before, but punishment has kind of a negative, a negative ring to it, right? It's like uh, vindictive almost. Whereas discipline is yeah something that you do because the rules have been broken and this is like, what led you to think this was a, an important enough idea to put towards the the start of your book there. Well, we all self-discipline, I guess, as adults and as we, we get maturity around our life, we, we learn what stress does to us and we start to go, okay, I stay up later when I'm stressed. I need to really make sure I'm caring for myself in that area, bring in some more discipline in that area and get to bed at, you know, 10.30. Or even with our food, we'll, we'll notice when we're eating, you know, maybe too much sugar or binging or, and we bring self-discipline into our lives to help regulate ourselves. And I think with teenagers, we've got to realize that if we go tit for tat for things, if you do that, I'm going to do this to you, 
then they'll likely to do it back to us. And it just goes round and round in circles. But what we're trying to help them do is self-discipline. And sometimes that's, um, I guess, putting some boundaries there and, and saying, look, you know, lights out at 10 o'clock or whatever it be. But what we're actually doing is coming from the mindset is, hey, I'm teaching you to care for yourself. I'm not punishing you because you're not, not regulating yourself really well at the moment, but I'm teaching you to discipline yourself so you can help manage your life. Mm, I like that. So then what exactly is the difference between punishment and discipline? Is it just as simple as your mindset when you're doing it? I think it makes a big difference. And I think it's the our language. You know, if you do that, this is going to happen. So I think it's more like, hey, I can see where things are at right now. And we need to make a few adjustments. So, you know, you don't, you don't, get yourself in trouble here you know like and talk them through it instead of opposing something on on kids i think rules just breed rebellion without a lot of relationship and it's not that i'm saying we don't need rules but it's it's in the form of helping them accept those rules so they can internalize and learn to self-discipline themselves so of course one of the places where a lot of clashes uh, with regard to the rules is with social media and uh and smartphones and you have like some really hip advice on this and i think it's like you got this like street smartness or something that's really savvy (laughs) right no because like you know a lot of people it's like okay well yeah make sure you take their phones away before bed but you point out um, that you know hey taking their phones away before bed like these kids grew up with the internet like they're gonna take out the sim card and hand you the phone and say oh here mom and then they get another phone for twenty dollars like, yeah. backup that they just slide their sim card into and they're back to texting on that yeah. like like uh-huh. there, there's this there's like a street smartness uh-huh. that i think parents need to have nowadays that they're like hesitant to to have so okay so what are some of the things like that where parents maybe need to wake up a little bit and get a little more savvy with their teenagers <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, you know, I've I've done this for 18 years, so a lot of hands-on stories (laughs) that I've got, but I've seen everything from, I mean, fake accounts, um, parents charging phones in the other room because they've come to a parent seminar and and someone's told them, don't let your child have their phone in the room at night, charge it in the other room. But kids are just getting up through the night and using the phone and putting it back. So, and it depends what stage your child's, you know, your teenager's going um, through as well. Sometimes they're going through a pretty good stage where you know you can charge phones in the lounge room and, and you know, their safety's okay and everything's fine. But there's other times, let me tell you, where I've said to a mum, you need to charge that thing in your own room because <laughs> they're just going to get up and get it. Uh, taking the SIM cards out is another one, but oh my goodness, you know, and I think parents can be really quite naive yeah. and think, um, I trust them and it's going to be okay. And if there's safety issues involved, you know, sexting and, and even, you know, chronic bullying and stuff like that, I think parents need mm. to really just wise up a little bit, uh, realize if their kid's getting up every morning, very, very tired, there's a chance they're not sleeping through the night and there's a chance that phone's under their pillow. <laughs> or a backup phone that they somehow purchased from someone else at school who got rid of their old one or got on the internet somewhere. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
Oh, it's so it's so cheap to buy at school secondhand phones. I mean, right? You know, I like I I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it, but it's like, of course, right? Everyone has like three old ones、mm. that you get a new one every year, and、yeah. just well, I mean, yeah,、mm. yeah. You have this idea about an accountability buddy, or like getting. Getting someone who's kind of maybe in their twenties or something like that that your、mm. teen can talk to yeah. that's yeah. like kind of in that middle ground, so they're like、yeah. still hip, sort of in the eyes of your teenager and not completely out、yeah. of touch. But yeah, so what what makes you say that, and how would you actually pull that off? Well, I think that sometimes parents think they can be all things to their kids,、mm. and so they've got the parent hat and the friend hat and the this hat, and it just doesn't always work. Especially if kids are going through a difficult patch, and, and they often do, you know, fourteen and sometimes eighteen as、yeah. well. So, what I say to parents is, talk to your kids. Look, if there was something you couldn't talk to me about. Who in your world would you talk to? And oftentimes they'll name their friends who are going through exactly the same、sure. stuff as them. But it would just be really cool if families could find cousins, you know, whoever it be. Sometimes grandmas are real cool too, Andy. But someone in their twenties <laughs> <laughs> who really understands technology as well, and, yeah, yeah, and just prompting them at saying, "Hey, look, I know, I know there might be things that you're hesitant to talk to me about."、Um, But it, here's some other options.、Mm. And look, I actually trust that person. If your safety was involved, and I and I needed to know that I would know, I find that when parents need to know something, it does come to light. Yeah, you know, secrets come to the surface when they really need to. And I don't think there's anything wrong with our kids having people just that little bit older than them that they can really talk to about their dramas that happen on that daily basis. Something that you articulated really well. That I've never heard done this way before is that that what's dangerous about the internet and social media is that teenagers have kind of faulty beliefs about it. They do, yeah. I have a presentation I go into schools with that just talks about the beliefs that drive risky online behavior. And it really does start in their heads, and oftentimes that they're going to get away with it. They wouldn't get away with it、yeah. in real life, but somehow if they do it behind a screen, they're going to get away with it. And that they can take risks without without consequences,、um, you know, just stuff like that. And we need to constantly talking to our kids about their belief system with the internet. And that they are leaving this digital footprint.、Mm. Um, they get away with so much online, Andy. If it's if I'm really honest, I think you know if kids want to get into trouble, the online space is perfect because they do get away、sure. with so yeah, much yeah. of it. And I think as parents, we need to get a little bit more savvy and realize that we're actually teaching them. That、um, the online space is different than the real world. I hate it when I see parents find out their kids have been sexting and just do nothing. They almost sweep it under the carpet because they're really teaching them. They're teaching them that you know whatever you do online, it's not got real life consequences. We'll just pretend、yeah. that stuff doesn't happen. We're here talking to Michelle Mitchell on the Talking to Teens podcast, and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. We need to make sure they have, you know, enough time away from the internet that they can actually start to breathe like a normal person again and realize life's going to be okay if they're not attached to it. Disrespect, social media, sexuality, moods, and drugs and alcohol—they have always been around, but it's how these things are now interacting with social media and and their online life that's making all the difference. 
remember in our day, Andy, I mean, it was kind of a bit more like it was a, you know, a one-off talk. <laughs> you got handed yeah, a book right. okay, and that yeah. was it. Job done. Talk Birds about that. Beach, Great, job done. done. But it's so different these days and because they're getting exposed to stuff so consistently, we have to be able to layer our conversation and we have to get really comfortable in, in, in talking. Whether they roll their eyes in the end of it or, or not, it doesn't matter. It, it does go in. And when it comes from a place of connection and care, it's it's so much more powerful. I've seen some horrific stuff, you know, but probably the worst thing that I've ever been involved with was a mum went in to see her daughter in the morning. She saw a lump in the bed that moved and grabbed the cover and she was probably expecting to find another 16-year-old boy there, right. but it was a 40-year-old man who wow. this, you know, this young girl, 16 years old, had been um, messaging for months and months and months and had just gotten sucked into this, you know, revolting situation. Right. Beautiful girl, let me say that. Beautiful family, beautiful girl. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.